0: And Jesus, you're actually better. Like, is that something that we can not just sing because we don't want to be awkward around the people around us, but is that something that we can actually believe and mean? Like, is that actually what defines your life? This is what we're going to be talking about tonight, guys. We're going to try and answer a really, really important question out of John 14. So if you want to start turning to John 14 with me. Um, This is the question, the big question that we have to answer tonight. Have you experienced transformative belief in Jesus? I'll ask that again. Have you experienced transformative belief in Jesus? I think when we ask the question, you know, do you believe in Jesus? I'd probably say 90% of you would definitely say yes. Um, I think when we walk through the doors here, we might even be able to put on our our mask or our church clothes, uh, and we can convince everybody around us, say, yeah, I definitely believe in Jesus, but I'm asking you a little bit different of a question tonight. Have you experienced the transformative power of what it really means to believe in Jesus? Not like, hey, have you ascended uh, cognitively? To this new point like are you smarter than you were a year ago do you know more bible than you knew previously in your life not like have you climbed the social ladder of salt company in the church and done all the right things per se not that type of belief not just like nodding along when you leave here and i saying yes that was a good message hopefully you say that but you know like yes i agree with what is said tonight Yes, I really like the songs. They mean a lot to me. Like, we can walk out if you're nodding our heads all night. But what I think John 14 is going to pull out of us is a harder question than just do you agree with what's going on here. It's have you experienced the transformative type of belief in Jesus? And guys, this is such an important question, isn't it? It's a fun question. It's scary. It's scary. Like Zach said, we might get a little confrontational, tonight. We might prod a little bit, but I think it's a really important question because I think on the other side of this question, there's joy, I think there's a love that eases every single turmoil that was brought in here tonight. Whatever pain you brought in, whatever doubts and whatever just like heartache that you have, I think there's actually a love that you can walk out of with tonight that can heal that and can fulfill that pain. I think there is a way to the truth, like the actual truth that actually leads to true life now and forevermore. I think there's a life worth living here before you die that only comes through Jesus Christ. And bottom line tonight, guys, not to sound dramatic, but I love this quote. This is what I felt like studying John 14, that I am indeed a dying man preaching to dying people. And I hope tonight That as you are encountered with Christ, no matter what your background is, that you would love him more. And some messages you kind of feel are tailored to people like, you know, an atheist. And And I hope, and I know, I really hope there are atheists in here tonight. I hope there are skeptics. I hope there are people who have just such severe doubts that that's actually how they would define themselves. Like, I'm agnostic. Or I don't actually follow Jesus at all. I'm just here for a friend. I hope you're in here. And I hope tonight that you can actually see the kindness of Christ and the reality of his claims. There's a lot of people in here who would cognitively shake their, nod their head and be like, yeah, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But you actually have no idea what it means to have a transformative belief in him. I hope that you can experience the kindness of Christ tonight. And there are some of you who are on fire. You're doing it right. You're having fun. You love Jesus more than anything in the world. But tonight, I hope that your faith would just be exploded. Just, you would walk out of here with twice as much fire as you had, that your faith would be strengthened and deepened that you did not even expect tonight. So that's my prayer. Can you guys pray with me with that? Like, Can you like, be remembering that? Like, Keep that on like, your mind right now. Like, That's where we're going tonight. That's what we want. And we're gonna ask that question, have you experienced this transformative belief in Jesus? And we're gonna do it uh, like this. We're gonna ask four smaller questions. right? Like, And as we ask those four questions out of John 14 that I think are kind of popping up, at least in my mind, in my heart, like, as we ask those, kind of as litmus tests, litmus tests? Uh, as we ask those as kind of tests for us, that we would be confronted, be prodded, but not pushed in a way that would push us away from Christ, but prodded like somebody stoking a fire, that the flame would only grow, and that you would walk, walk out of here more sure, more alive, more full of Jesus than you did on your way in. So, let's just do this. Let's, uh, let's, let's just go to question number one under this. The first question we're going to kind of be presented with in this text is, do you believe Jesus loves you? Okay, lob ball. I played slow pitch softball this summer. Uh, if any of you know I'm talking about, you just this is a lob ball. It's still possible to miss, but it's really hard to miss. This one's coming at you. You can answer this question. Do you believe Jesus loves you? A lot of you are like, oh, heck, I'm going to pass this test easily. This is awesome. Okay, uh, let's read verses one through four of John 14. This is what Jesus says. But there's a reason we have to ask this first. Jesus is hours away from leaving his disciples. He just had the Last Supper. Judas, Judas just like took the bread and is like going to go betray him and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Peter just was told that he was going to deny Jesus after swearing an oath of his life on it. And Jesus is saying, I'm about to leave and so they're full of anxiety. They're scared. The security blanket that they've been walking around with is going somewhere. The one that they've pledged their last 3 years to is about to leave. And so Jesus starts with these words, "Let not your hearts be troubled." I'm leaving, but don't worry about it, man. I'm doing something for you. There's actually a really good reason that I'm leaving. Trust me on this one. And where is he going? Well it says right here, right? That he's going to prepare a room for you. Cool. That like that sounds really fun. Like Jesus is like going to heaven, like, you know, making that big, big house where we can play football and all that stuff, right? Like Jesus is going there. All the Christian kids laugh at that one because I heard that on the radio growing up. Terrible song. No way that's biblical. But um He's going, he's gonna prepare a room for you and saying, the house is huge. Like, I want to run on greener pastures. Like, the yard is going to be massive. I want to dance on higher hills. Like, he's describing this paradise. He's like, I'm going there. And the best part is, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you too. Like, it's going to be scary. Like, I'm going to leave. Something's about to happen. But I promise you, I promise you that I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to take you where I'm going. Do not be troubled. I'll be back. Like, an orphan, like my, my friend... Calvin, the orphan who is adopted by a new family. And they, they signed the papers and they, they adopted him and they went home to prepare a place, right? And how do you think Calvin was feeling in that moment? Like he's anxious, he's like, are they gonna come back from me? Like, I know I'm adopted, I know my destiny, I know where I'm going. But right now the disciples are in that waiting game that Jesus is about to leave And he is going to come back for his kids. So why would they be anxious? Because in order to go prepare their room, it actually meant something terrible first. For them to come home to their God, their God would actually first come and die for them. Jesus first would go to the place of unimaginable horrors so he could then take his people, the ones he loves, to a place of unmatchable glory. Why can you believe this tonight, that Jesus loves you? Why can you, right here, right now, believe with every single fiber of your being that Jesus loves you? You can believe that because he paid a brutal price to secure your room in this house. That he paid everything. He did not pull any blows, but went all the way to guarantee that if you believe in him, you will be there with him. He starts off by saying, believe in me. You see that? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And with this lens of love, where Jesus is saying, no, no, my love is power enough to bring you home. All I'm asking of you to do is to believe that I'm gonna come get you. That's how much I love you. With that lens of love, we can see more clearly where Jesus is going to go next as the questions get a lot harder as we go on. And so the first question, do you believe that Jesus loves you? The second question, do you believe that Jesus is the way to God? Some of you again are like, yes, okay, good. I'm two for two. This is really easy. Do you believe that Jesus is the way to God? I'm going to read verses five through 11 real quick, and then we're going to unpack them. All right. In verse 4, Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas, if you guys know, is doubting Thomas, this guy's kind of a jerk. He's always got like, the teacher's like, stop me if you need, you know, anything repeated. Thomas is always the guy who raises his hand right in the middle of the sentence. He goes, uh, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip, as confused as anybody, said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on accounts of the works themselves. Okay, here we go. This is what it's all about. The temperature is about to raise in the kitchen a little bit. What is going on here? Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Don't worry about it. And Thomas, like we said, says, no, we don't. What Thomas is expressing here is the age-old question of religion. When Thomas is saying, I don't know the way, what he's saying is, Jesus, give me a map to get home. You're saying you're leaving. But what I need from you is a road map I need you to spell it out as clear as day. Hand me a physical thing that I can do so I can know to make sure that I am going on the way home back to my God. And I say this is the age-old question of religion because this is essentially, in one way or another, what most religions are trying to uh, kind of offer us or trying to answer for us. What is the way back to God? What is the way to enlightenment? What is the way to nirvana? What is the way? What do I have to do to ascend to what roadmap do I have to follow to essentially get back to the paradise or the way that things are supposed to be? Or at least something better or different than this life? How is each religion going to deal with the problem of pain and death? And the way Thomas must have been seeing it up to this point is that Jesus is going to lead them to the way that Jesus is going to essentially be like this tour guide who's going to take them from one place of safety to another. That he's going to deliver on what all the religions in the world have always tried to deliver on. Jesus is going to point to that, but Jesus denies that. And he says something else. He says, no, you do know the way. Why? I am the way. Do you see the subtle difference here? It's incredibly important. Jesus is not saying like every prophet of old and every other religion, every other uh, person who's tried to create a following for themselves by saying this is the way you are going to get to God. This is the way you're going to achieve life after death. This is how you're going to solve life's greatest problems by doing these things. Jesus is saying I am your answer. And he doesn't just say that. He says, I am the only answer. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. The polarizing, separating truth. And I am the life. That anything apart from the author of life would indeed only find death. Thomas wants religion. Give us the way or a roadmap back to God, but Jesus gives him something else. I am the way, the way to God has actually come to you. Jesus is saying that God himself has actually come to us. Religion is about getting to God, but Jesus is God getting to you. Where We want a map to get to heaven and that's it, right? Like, I'm coming to Salt coming to get the answers checked off, get my duties checked off, and all my stuff figured out so I can just make sure I get to heaven where there's going to be no more pain. It's going to be awesome. I would love to be on those greener pastures and higher hills. I can't wait. I just want to be free from this world. If that is the ultimate goal, like the only goal, I should say, about why we are here doing this Jesus stuff, we have completely missed the point. Because Jesus wants to give us more than a map to God. He is God, and he wants to give us himself. I am the way, the truth, and life is probably, it has to be. I know we say this every week about like how controversial this stuff is. This has got to be, in Iowa City 2019, just dropped right in the middle of this, this has got to be the worst one yet. Like This has got to be the most polarizing, blood-boiling, controversial statement that Jesus said in this I Am series yet. Let this all sink in. Let the, like the weight and the angst of what Jesus is saying here really hit your heart. Jesus is claiming to be the only way to God. That means any faith, morality, religion, or life that isn't under his lordship is wrong. Does that actually mean that the one who claims to be love himself is excluding other beliefs? How could that actually be? How could Jesus be so intolerant? How could Jesus be so abrasive? How could Jesus be so cruel? If you want to believe in Jesus, he gives no other options, it seems, than to believe in him fully or to not believe in him at all. Jesus is not a moral teacher. He will not give you that option. He's saying that I am either Lord of everything, I am either God or I am nothing. Why can you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? In a world, and a culture that we're in where truth claims are demonized, you have got to think about this and hear this tonight. Jesus is the truth, and if there's any other way to God for us, if there was any way where we could get back to God other than this, guys, don't you think he would have done it? If there was any other way for God to rescue you from death, he would have done it. If there was any perfect blood, anybody else, anything else, any other spotless, wrath-averting sacrifice of blood that could pay for the sin and death that we owe besides his own, he would have done it. If there was any more beautiful narrative of love meant to woo you back to himself than the gospel of Jesus Christ, he would have done it. If there was any more compelling and merciful way to think, he would have thought of it. But God's love for us would take no easy way out, would it? his story for his own glory would know absolutely no limits because Jesus himself, the way, the truth, and the life, the one prophesied about for hundreds of years by tons of authors who fulfilled everything, he is ours from the cross telling his followers that this is actually their way home. And you can look in the face look yourself, like with your own face, look in the face of God tonight. You can do that and you can call him a liar. You can call him a cruel God, but I hope that you see he is looking right back at you with a crown of thorns on his head, hanging on a cross, eyes full of tears, telling you that he loves you. My hands are clean tonight of any, blood but i want you to be sure of this tonight friend that the blood of jesus spilled for you is more powerful and it's more wonderful than any of the doubts that you brought in tonight that the way himself is here and he is offering you the answer of life's deepest darkest questions that the truth himself is here offering you liberty from confusion and the religion that entangles you, that the life himself is here, victorious over the death that he willingly died, offering you the very breath from his lungs. And be sure of this, that there is actually enough blood that Jesus spilled for you tonight. That if you have not washed your robes in his blood and seen the wrath-diverting sacrifice that is the lamb slaughtered for sin, he can be all yours tonight and he plans on it. I cannot wait to have conversation with some of you after this. Cuz I totally believe with all of my heart that God is welcoming home sinners as saints tonight. That some of you actually believe this transformative belief in Jesus. That he would just radically throw all of this love on you and you would not know what to do with yourself except just hit your knees and believe. And that the tears of sadness as you recognize your sin in the sight of a holy God would actually turn to tears of joy as you know that you were loved and forgiven like you never imagined. Jesus loves you even enough to tell you that he is the only way, that he is the absolute truth, and that he is the only life. Do you believe that Jesus is the way to God? Some of you are like, yes, Jesus loves me. Good. I get that. I actually believe that. I know what you're talking about tonight. This is good. I can actually follow this. Uh, And you know what? The second one, ah, it's a little abrasive. It's a little countercultural. And I'll get yelled at in class if I talk like that. But I think I do believe that Jesus is the only way to God. I'm going to take him at his word for it. But I think the temperature is going to get turned up even a little bit more for you, believer. Because here it is. Do you believe Jesus has a life for you that's worth living? This isn't meant to sound morbid, actually, this one. I'm just, I'm just asking, do you believe that Jesus actually has a life for you worth living now? Let's look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also, this is so crazy, that he will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Yes, Jesus truly loves me. Yes, I believe Jesus is actually the way. But as you believe, what makes this question so particularly hard? What makes this just feel like the temperature's raise even a little bit more for the Christian in the room? When was the last time you walked on water? Was it this week? When was the last time you saw somebody healed? It might have been this week. When was the last time that you expressed a powerful miracle and fed the multitude. If you have that spiritual gift of feeding the multitude, we are in desperate need for you to feed us at the faller tree because it costs so much money. So come forward now. But like greater works than Jesus will you do, believer. I don't know about that. That's a little heavy. That's a little idealistic, if you don't mind me saying. If we're honest, for some of us, this is where belief actually gets the hardest. We can look back on the cross and believe all these good things, but we are so reluctant to accept the power that that cross brings to us in the day-to-day, right? Like, we look back and we believe with all our heart, and we affirm everything. We're like, I love this, I love Jesus. But today, has that belief transformed you in power? We need to see what compels Jesus to make such a bold claim. Look at one word with me, okay? In verse 12, underline his word, because. Look at that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works he will do because I am going to the Father. Okay, here's why this is so hard to believe that we could do even greater things. But here's the truth. Jesus says, it's because he is leaving. That doesn't make any sense, okay? He, he thinks it's because he is leaving that now he is making these bold claims for the rest of our life. Imagine these disciples. You've been following around, watching Jesus do all these amazing healings. He just raised a guy from death to life a little bit ago, okay? He, he, like, has made paralyzed people walk. Like, he literally talked to the weather, and the weather's like, all right, cool. And, like, he is doing these things. And now his disciples are like, what are you talking about? Why would you leaving be better? How in the world is that making sense? Like, you don't believe this either. (laughs) Like, think about that last math test you were in or whatever. I love that some of you are still in math classes. That cracks me up. Like, you're like in your test, like, shoot, ah, don't know the answer to this one. And you just thought maybe if you have like a super churchy religious background, you're like, Man, I wish Jesus was here. Then he could answer this question for me. Oh, if only he was in my class and he could, I could like cheat off his test, or he could just like you know give me. That. Okay, like if Jesus were next to me, my life would probably be easier. Or last time you were in that awkward conversation with a girl, it's like, oh, I don't know what to say right now. I'm making a mess of this. I wish Jesus was here to like <laughs> uh, give me guidance, right? And like, hey, what should I say next? Like whisper in my ear or something, like. You want Jesus around. It just makes way more sense. Life would be way easier. Or what about last time you visited somebody in the hospital? Like, you want to pray for them. But as you're looking at them on the bed, almost lifeless, and your heart is just full of emotion and wonder and just hope that Jesus could save them and heal them, you don't want to open your mouth. You don't want to lay hands on them and pray. Because where is Jesus? This is actually why it's better for Jesus to die, rise again from the grave, and go to heaven. This is why it's actually better for Jesus to not be here in the flesh tonight, sitting right next to you. Because the very spirit that raised Jesus to life is alive, and he is dangerous inside of the chest of the believer. The spirit of life himself plans to invade the hearts of humans and bring them to new life. You see, Jesus leaving his spirit with us, this great helper, is advantageous for two main reasons, I think. That Jesus leaving and saying, don't worry, I'm sending my spirit to you, and when you believe, you will be just completely encompassed with this spirit, this new life, It's advantageous for two reasons. The first one is that we will actually do better things than the miracles that Jesus performed. Crazy. He says it. We will do even better things than walk on water. When one believes in Jesus, he pours out his spirit on the new believer. This is our life, our regeneration, our new birth. It's the beginning of our new eternity, right in that moment. That is the truth. This is our guarantee that we indeed are going home to the room that he has prepared for us. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because it's as simple as transformative belief, but what makes this so compelling in this life that we still live in this earth today is this. The greater works than something like multiplying food and walking on water is the miracle of new life. If the Holy Spirit has melted your cold, callous, rock-solid heart with his love, He plans on spreading that fire like wild. That's what's so fun about the Spirit of God getting in your business and changing your life and bringing your dead spiritual state to thriving new life is that it's contagious. And he has no interest in just staying in you. He wants to draw others to you. He wants to share this gospel and this good news that transforms lives all around you. That means as you share this good news of Jesus, his love, his making a way home for us, then we will see the explosive kindness of the spirit do for others as he has done for us. Spiritually dead people are coming to life and this is exactly what the spirit of God is in the business of doing. And what else, okay? Not only will we see the most amazing miracle ever, death to life, Not only are we going to see that on repeat, guys, but we will not stop sharing until the very ends of the earth have heard of Jesus. That's the second advantage of Jesus not being here. That we, believers in Jesus, will not stop sharing that until the very ends of the earth have heard of Jesus. You see, it's really good news that Jesus left because Jesus is actually still here. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Like, it's really good news because he's inside of the believer. And as wonderful as it must have been to follow around Jesus and see him work and just like watch the crowds flow to him. Look what's happening tonight. Nobody is gathered here to see me. That's a waste of your night. Terrible idea for your weekly rhythm. You're here to experience and encounter Jesus. That's it. We believers have the charge to take His spirit with us as we go and see him continue this work of saving dead souls. No longer does Jesus just plan on speaking with one voice and two legs, right? No, He plans on empowering a dangerous army of people with many voices and many sets of legs, so that we could go. And He plans on unleashing His spirit on you, the church, His bride, and set you loose like a dangerous people that you are. not because you're great. And because you're a good orator or you are friendly enough to bring people into the fold, but because his spirit is dangerous and alive and powerful and he cannot be stopped. You can believe that Jesus has a life for you worth living because he is actually still with you. Would we be a people who believe and actually let his spirit speak through us? Jesus absolutely loves you. He died and rose again to make your way home and he gives you full life even now. But here's the final, okay, here we go. Here's the final and hardest question. The question that has just literally driven me up a wall for years, well, the verse, the question is, the question is this. Do you believe Jesus loves you? Not a typo, I'll explain we're looping back around as we finish up this chapter because I think it bookends on purpose like this. If we got that, that perspective on the front end, that great reminder of how kind and loving Jesus is toward us and what great length He would go to express that to us, we are coming now at the end and we are going to actually have to come back around if we are going to stomach this question. If we're going to understand what is being said here, we need to remember that. So I'm gonna ask you again and really ask you again, do you truly believe that Jesus loves you? Look at verse 13 and 14 as we finish up. It says, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I would love to just start getting hype right now and just start screaming this verse over and over again until everybody's like on their chairs dancing because that's just fun. But if I'm honest with you guys, I can't do that. Because this is where my faith is just on the crucible. This is the verse and verses like this that have completely put me through the ringer over the years. I would say that I believe Jesus loves me most of the time. I'm not too worried about that. I would believe that Jesus is actually the only way to God even if it is hard or if all the pressure around me in the city is mounted up against me how unpopular it is. I usually believe that life now is even worth living with him. But if I'm honest this is one of the hardest truths to wrap my mind around and I've got to ask are you tired of asking for things that God seemingly ignores? Though you think you've done everything right? You've checked all the boxes and you actually threw away your checklist because you hear all the time that's not good, that's not real Christianity. You've even done that. You have done everything. You've done everything that Saul has asked of you. You have been reading your Bible for years. Are you tired of wondering if your faith and belief are too small for God to answer you? That if you prayed for a healing and it doesn't happen, or you prayed for something good to happen and it didn't happen, that you said, how could that not be in God's will? It must be my faith. It must be too small. And so you go back to the shop and you work on that faith harder than ever. Are you tired of doing that? Are you hurt by Jesus not showing up when you needed him the most? Are you exhausted and about to break waiting on this God to follow through with this verse in your life? I could have asked the question, do you believe Jesus answered your prayers? But I think the reason this point is the same as number one, the reason I think this is bookmarked intentionally, bookended at the end of this chapter is because the very first thing that Jesus says here, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. He doesn't want them to believe in just a cognitive assent. He wants to to believe him in a way that transforms every single thing about them. And this includes their anxieties, their troubles, their pains, their doubts, and their insecurities, and even their unanswered prayers. Jesus wants them to know that he is still drawing near, even as he prepares a place for them in heaven. Jesus wants them to ask for things, but he wants them to do it for a very specific purpose, that God would ultimately be glorified. And yet here we are still asking the question, what in the world are we supposed to do with our unanswered prayers? How do we deal with passages like Hebrews 11? Have you guys ever read that? It's called the Hall of Faith. Like another Christian cliche, the Hall of Faith. It's pretty much this chapter in the Bible that goes through all of these people in the Old Testament, like all the ones you've heard of, you know, like Moses and Abraham and all of those people, men and women alike, and how some were martyred for their faith. And some waited for so many years and wandered around the wilderness and did all these hard things for God and yet they believed. Like they clung so tightly to the words and the promises of God that this Bible, this chapter in Hebrews 11 is now forever singing their praises saying, wow, look how amazing the faith of God was in them. But here's the catch. What do we do with that? People who prayed prayers like this who wanted God's glory to be made manifest, who wanted good things in life, and yet it says that all of those people died not having received what they were promised. What do we do with that? So many people died without their righteous prayers being answered. Hebrews eleven eleven, talking about Abraham, said this is how he did it. This is how he was not crushed by his expectations of God seemingly not be met. He said that he was looking forward to a new city, one whose foundations were not actually built by man, but were built by God. How do we believe God, even in the midst of unanswered prayers, less than a full life, and doubts that can even cripple our minds? It's this, guys we look forward not to this world, but to the next. We don't look for the best things that we can get out of this life and suck all the good out of this life, all the success that we can possibly make, all the comfort we can possibly make, the biggest house possible. No, we look for We gladly throw those things to the wind if that means that we get something better in heaven where we will actually be with God. For Jesus to say that he will do whatever we ask for him is actually more profound than my small view. It's actually more amazing than my small view of my small world not getting my small prayers answered, as important as they actually are. What this passage is doing is kind of zooming out and showing us what it looks like for God to actually be glorified in answering prayer. This passage starts with the command to believe, and it starts with the love of God compelling us to do that but a book ends with Jesus assuring you that every single ounce of life that you can be saturated in the holy and powerful satisfaction found in Jesus. That every single prayer you ask will be answered in the deepest way possible. Let me explain with this, guys. As I've told you, I've been wrestling with this and it's been bugging me. I brought it up to my connection group because when you graduate, you still do connection groups. Well, I have girls in my connection groups. That's new. You guys don't have that in yours. Uh, enjoy it while you can. Um, this is what a girl... How many of you guys have Abby as your D group leader? How many of you female leaders have Abby? is she great? You guys, yes. She has no idea I'm saying this, but I'm, I'm going re- to read her text that she sent to me. Hopefully she doesn't hear about this because um, she's humble. Um, I was complaining about this. And my lack of faith in this, and my fear about praying for things and not having them answered. And this is what she said Ryan, I've been thinking about what you said last night about prayer. Then she quotes Psalm 37 Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As we delight more and more in him, the desires of our hearts are transformed to be his desires. Our desire is for him. Of course, he will give us the desires of our hearts because our hearts yearn for him. This is where it gets so good. In my rebellion, I want God to promise me something more than himself. Oh, in my rebellion, I want God to promise me something more important or just more than himself. But ultimately, he has only promised us himself and only is so sufficient, it's almost unbelievable. Anything other than himself is cutting me short. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about us. It's about his kingdom and how he desires for his glory to be displayed through us. He is always better. Anyway, food for thought. If you land on something, let me know next week at C Group. (laughs) Well, Abby, I think I have. (laughs) Under every prayer for guidance that you have prayed in your life, Jesus has actually given you more than you asked for. He has given you himself. Under every prayer for understanding that you have prayed in your life, Jesus has come closer than you even asked. Under every prayer for life and healing, Jesus has cured more than you asked for. Through under every cry for love, Jesus has lavished The sweetest love possible on you. That no matter what you're waiting on tonight, guys, no matter what unanswered prayers you are still furiously praying and hitting your knees every night for, you can believe that Jesus is near and that He is answering your prayers like an expert who knows what's best for you and for God's ultimate glory. That whatever doubts that you have right now, He is near. And he wants to sit with you in those and show himself to you again and again in his fullness. Whatever fears you have, he wants to assure you that his spirit is alive and active in your chest and that you have a full life to now live. And so I just want to say, guys, if you have not experienced this sort of transformative belief in Jesus, tonight is your night. I don't think you understand We were praying expectantly that God would save people tonight. We were praying expectantly that God would wake up sleeping Christians and get them excited about the gospel. And we were praying expectantly that those of you who are on fire would just spread like wild in Iowa City. Let's pray. God, it can become so um, routine in my life to say the words, I believe. But God, help me um, finish that sentence with, I do believe, God, but help my unbelief. I do believe that you are alive, that you are the way to God, and that you have made that way known to us. You have made that way possible, God, and that you have saved my soul from hell, God. I believe that you want to save so many souls even tonight, but help my unbelief. I believe that our song tonight, as we contemplate these good, good, loving truths, that our song and our voices tonight, as imperfect as they may be, would be a sweet sound to your ear, and that you would receive so much glory and honor and praise, and that there would be a party in heaven tonight as sinners come home. In Jesus' name.